victim versus victor. So <sighs> I'm always yeah. hit by the guy with the pillow versus I was hit once and I figured it out. And now I'm going to be the victor of this segment of this yeah. terrible race, which is yeah. another piece around the whole productivity and performance because a victim is stuck. They have an external locus of control. The world happens to me. And a victor, internal locus of control, I'm an agent and affecting change in my world. Welcome to the Founders Journey Podcast. Inspiration, education for founders by founders. Welcome back to the uh, next edition or current edition, I guess it actually is, of the Founders Journey uh, Podcast. Uh, thrilled to be back. Another uh, great episode. Uh, awesome guest today, Peter. Good to uh, good to see you. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. I'm really excited uh, to interview Carson. It's a really important one. Absolutely, absolutely. So as we uh, as we get into it, I want to introduce our guest here. Uh, Carson Tate is our guest, and uh, Carson spent her entire career really empowering executives to help build their leadership impact, lead transformational growth, high performance teams. They, she's done this for some of the top brands in the world. She's also done it for some of the top private equity firms in the world, which actually is how I got to know um, Carson. So really thrilled to uh, have her on the uh, podcast today. She's written a couple books uh, in the not too uh, distant past here. Uh, Work Simply uh, was one of, her, one of her books that released in 2015. And then more recently, Own It, Love It, Make It Work. And that came out in 2020. So uh, she's been featured in every big, publication there is. She's a huge uh, name on LinkedIn with, I think, what, like a million followers or something like that, Carson. So um, so thrilled to uh, thrilled to have her on today. Thank you. I'm excited to be with both of you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for, thanks for joining us. So, um, let, you know, we're going to be talking today about really helping to kind of build performance, right? And it's really around <laughs> You know, not only, and obviously this podcast being the Founders Journey podcast is really focused on founders and high growth um, mm -hmm. startups, but the work you're doing really extends pretty pretty far beyond that. You've worked with a lot of really leading brands, like you said, a lot of leading PEs. Give us a sense of your background. How did you get into this kind of whole area of performance and productivity? Mm -hmm. I was fortunate. I started my career in financial services in the HR and OD function in a bank. And there, our sole objective was really, how do we amplify performance from the teams and our employees and doing that with training, with coaching, with systems and with processes and getting to watch some of the best of the best, I think in the world build those cultures was phenomenal. Um, and then when I went into pharmaceutical sales, the whole shift around that personal building your own personal business, but also following through and driving your own personal productivity. So those worlds intersected. I decided that I wanted to start my own business. And then in graduate school, I did research looking at cognitive thinking styles, because one thing that is so important if we're talking about performance and productivity is there's no one size fits all. Mm -hmm. Right. It's based on how we think and process information. So graduate school was so helpful in that and helping me look at the space differently and then offer individuals and teams a solution that hadn't existed before. So why I said it's so important you're here is because you, 
you're talking about founders that are pretty weird people. Like they're a little flawed, right? And so I'm a founder, Greg's a founder. Jeffrey says you're a founder. All right, come on now. I know I've worked for you a long time. You know, there's an individual that is a founder. And I mean, executives also, they're probably a little, they're a lot better than we are um, regarding personal performance. And so some of them come in with, you know, there's a whole different range of personalities um, and then approaches to work. How, how do you, what are some of the mistakes you see and what are, how do you get us out of our own way as a founder? Mm -hmm. Well, I think first what I've seen with founders, and this is both what helps you win, but it's also your Achilles heel, that insatiable drive. So you will move mountains and walls to get things done, regardless of if they are the high impact, high ROI task, right? And this, so it's how do we get that over rotation back in alignment? The Mm -hmm. second thing that founders will do is they will build a team that looks just like them. And I get it. I totally get it, right? We want to work with people that work like us and talk like us. But the problem is you have unique strengths and we've got to counterbalance your blind spots with a Mm -hmm. team that fills you out. We probably go and move a mountain that we didn't need to. I think you were kind of saying that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You you move a mountain you didn't need to, and then you're going to pave a road up to it that we didn't really need. And then you're going to ski down (laughs) it and have a great time. But all the way, like over here is where we need to be. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's a really good point, I think, because that is... That founder mentality, right, is like, I mean, that is that that innate drive. Yes. You take that into everything you do, right? Everything. To, I, I actually, I had this conversation with somebody over the weekend. So funny we're talking about this. Peter, you'll get a kick out of this. The, I was talking about meditation, right? And I was talking about the, like, the challenge I have with meditation. And I think it's a wonderful thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm talking about my my ability to meditate, right? Mm-hmm. turns into this like ridiculous thing of like every day I've got to add a minute and add a minute and add a minute and add a minute. And it's like, what in the, this is like the opposite of meditation. This is like a weird mm-hmm. race now, right? But that is, but it is that kind of founder's mentality, right? You just take it, you take that drive into everything, regardless of whether it needs a drive or not. Exactly. And you take it into everything without the governor and the over rotation is on output versus impact. And so when I start with my founders and their teams, we've got to get really clear. I need to know what drives revenue and how you're going to control cost. Everything else we can capture, but those are the two things because that orients us around where to say yes and where to say no. And they're still going to fight me. Well, but this is a great idea. You know, we, we could pursue it. No, you can't. You've got 168 hours in the week. You're going right. to burn yourself and your team out. And we have to drive for that maximum impact. And we're in a short time frame. I mean, you guys are investors. Like, we have to yeah. show you a return pretty quickly. So the intensity and focus of the effort has to be focused on the results you want to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it reminds me, I've had this. I've had this conversation with a lot of founders recently and, you know, around just narrowing that focus, right? Narrowing down. It's the opportunity cost of, they're all great ideas, right? All those things they want to go do because I'm the exact same way. They're all great ideas, but it's narrowing down that focus to something that you can just go achieve, achieve it, move on to the next thing. Right. And I think, 
you know, I know in in your books, in both work simply and own it, love it, make it work. You you talk a lot about understanding your own personal style, right? To to really understand like what what is it about your own personal style that can bring out the best in you? Can you talk about that a little bit? My research looked again at cognitive thinking styles and these taught, when you think about what that is, it's how you process information. It's how you organize your work. It's how you think about time. And so I have four different styles. There's the visualizer, which is a lot of founders, big picture, ideation, innovation, what's next, why not? So they like a lot of ideas. They're your adrenaline junkies. So structure and list feels like a straight jacket. However, we need them to keep pushing, but we've got to balance that with the planner, which is around process Mm -hmm. and details and playbooks and systems. And they're very sequential. And then the two other styles that we need are the prioritizer. That's your analytical. That's the quantitative thinker. That's the one who's going to put together the budget. What's the goal? What's the objective? So here's the big idea. Planner, how are we going to get there? The prioritizers and make sure we stay on budget, really focused on what's the goal. And then the fourth and final style is the arranger. And this is about the people. This is about who is our client, who are our vendor partners. And they are much more connection before content. They tend to be intuitive. They are the who people in this framework. So our visualizer, big picture, asking the why questions. Our arranger, they are the ones that are that relational who question folks, our planner, process, how are we going to get there, and our prioritizer, that analytical what, goal, objective, data, and finances. Just to, just to follow up on that for a second, because it, it strikes me as if you think about a founder versus a corporate executive, Yes. right? Just intuitively, it would seem like the style of the founder, what's going to make a great founder is going to be very different in that when you think about those quadrants, right, what's going to be very different than what makes a corporate, a great corporate executive. Is that fair? Uh, yes. And so now I sound like your attorneys, which is really annoying. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so if we, okay, so let's think about corporate, we're going to say publicly traded every quarter, mm-hmm. you've got to report earnings. So in that environment, the thinking style that's most favored is that prioritizer. What's the goal? Analytics, finance, and mm-hmm. planner. Process, 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 risk mitigation. In a startup, we're on the opposite side. What's that big, bold idea, that visualizer? And then who's the customer? Do we know our customer? Are we building for our customer? That's the arranger. However, mm. you need all four, and we have to access all four, which we can. We're not a one-sided fragment. And this is that team component. So a visualizer is going to hit the wall without what's the budget, what's the process. And we, I actually worked with a big company and they were designing a new video game that will remain nameless. And they had focused on what the goal was, staying on budget and making sure they had a really ironclad process. Where their game was miserable, the teenage hmm. boys thought it was terrible, no innovation, and they'd forgotten that they're programming for 15-year-old males. Oops. Right? So they forgot. Yeah. It was a colossal disaster and a huge waste of time and money. Yep. How can an individual like identify what their style is? Yeah. So there's how do you do that? So there's an assessment um, in my book. There's one on the website. Um, but I think the first thing to think about is 
as you are approaching a problem, what's the first question you ask yourself? Ooh, why this? Have we thought about this? What might this think about? Or, ooh, who's impacted? Or, hmm, how might I solve this? Or, I don't know, what's the data I'm going to use? So we can access it through that primary question you ask yourself. I also can assess clients pretty quickly by listening to them talk because they're going to speak in this language. They'll ask those questions. But I mean, your visualizer, I love it. They paint pictures and it's visual imagery. And our prioritizer, I mean, they're going to send me an email with two words. Okay, thanks. <laughs> if I get that. Peter and I are definitely prioritizers, by the way. Uh, off the charts, <laughs> would agree with that. And both of you were looking at me like, why is she still talking about the visualizers? She needs to land <laughs> that plane. Land we, we think that's the only one that actually matters. That's the, that, that's uh, why. Right. I, I do have to say, and again, Greg and I have worked parallel for a long time. Like, I've watched Greg do it, and I've learned to do it. And we talk about this often, like... Um, you kind of have to learn how to do some other stuff. Even though you're, you may be one Absolutely. person, you kind of have to fill in the gap and you know, like Greg's told me before, you hire this person, it's the best person you can ever hire because it's going to solve the other half, right? It's going to fix that other piece of yours, right? Or mm -hmm. call this person, they're going to give you a ton of levity and information that's going to help balance out your lopsided one side that you're on. Right. Those are Absolutely. conversations that we have as. Yeah. You know. and, and I would encourage you to keep having them. And here's the other piece of this is that we use and access all four of these styles. Mm -hmm. But think about if I asked both of you to write your first and last name with your left hand. Both of you could do it. No problem. But and then I'd say, OK, write with your right hand. Which hand is your preferred hand? It's your dominant hand. However, you can write with your non-dominant hand. It's yeah. just slower. It takes longer in the output. So when we flex from prioritizer into innovation, yeah. it's slower, it's a little messier, doesn't look great. You can do it. But that yeah. goes back to building this high-performing team where we can right. start to offset. You're thinking about the early stage startup world for a second, right? As the there's this pivot it seems like a founder then needs to go through right which is because at the beginning you don't have the luxury of going out and building the team right you're just trying no. to hire i mean if you have any money at all to hire somebody it's going to be the cheapest person you can find right and that's probably about what you've what you've got you know so that so that that luxury isn't really there so the ability to say to yourself and i think this is something that I've seen founders do, right? It's almost like, hey, I'm really good at this. I'm just not good at this. So I'm not going to do that thing, right? And that you can't operate like that, right? I mean, no. yes, you may be, in your words, you may be very dominant on the visualizing side, but you still do have to actually <clears throat> hack your way through to the prioritization, you know, or, you know, or, or any of those other quadrants. So I think and as you get bigger, you start to get the luxury of kind of filling those other areas. You know, you have to find the way to, to access it right at that early stage. Absolutely. You absolutely do. And it's um, working a muscle that you don't really want to work. 
And the other piece here, though, is we're not going to force strategies that would really work well for you two that are going to be very linear, very analytical on my big picture thinker. So I would challenge them to start to look at prioritization through mind mapping. I would use a series of oscillating, interesting, and boring tasks to keep this rhythm going throughout their day. I would use a timer and really crunch them to give enough of an adrenaline spike and focus to help them start to think about what is the priority. That's where the nuance comes in around how do you start to use your strengths to move into that other quadrant. I think time boxing is a really interesting approach there, right? It's something that I've played with because again, we were obviously joking about the Peter and I both being great prioritizers. I mean, I couldn't prioritize my way out of the room I'm standing in right now if I had to, but, but I could tell you how to rebuild the house to, you know, to make it better. Right. So, but I mean, that's, that's the thing, but you know, what I found has worked for me is just sort of, okay, I'm going to, for the next 10 minutes, I'm going to lay out the steps of what actually needs to happen. And it's 10 minutes. That's all I'm going to spend on it. But at least I've got something to start with. And that 10 minutes usually turns into, you know, far longer than that. But that sort of time boxing exercise, you know, I've found kind of helps me get through that. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, it's and just to simplify it a little. Because you're going to overthink it and go on all these tangents. But just make it simple. Do that. Don't move the mountain. Don't need to move the mountain. Just get that right. piece done. And pave the road. Yeah. Absolutely. I kind of pivot over to specific founders and obviously not names here or anything, but sort of when you think about founders you've worked with, you've obviously worked with some great ones. You've worked, you've worked with a lot of sort of the top PE firms out there. What differentiates those really success on whatever measure you want to, right? But those really successful founders in terms of their ability to get things done that others that just don't get the same results in your mind? Radical self-awareness. Interesting. So they know who they are and how they are oriented in the world. I'm going to say with thinking style and are willing to look at that and then look at how do I leverage that in service of the goal that I want. The folks that do not achieve their goals either as quickly or sometimes don't at all are not radically self-aware. So they aren't sure how they don't know they're showing up and they're also not willing to really do the work to take strengths, to move them over, to accommodate for those growth edges. I just think of going through all my work history with all these founders and it's pretty accurate. I mean, you think about the ones that are just so like tied into whatever they're good at and aren't thinking, okay, no, I know this is a flaw. So how do I temper this? you know, they're, they're the ones that get into trouble fastest, right? Like the quick problems happen. Quick problems. And it's that blind spot that literally blindsides them and they don't even see it coming and it's coming and coming, coming. And then there is a reticence to look at, Hey, what was my piece of the action? Because you did contribute. And if we can't even look at how you contributed, I can't start to clean it up and move you to a place where you start to move forward. Amazing. Can you develop that, Carson? Can you, I mean, is that a skill, like that kind of radical self-awareness, is that a skill you can develop or is that something that's innate? My personal opinion, I -hmm. believe it absolutely can be developed. Okay. Um, I think anyone, yes. 
I think you too might so have quiet. it. I think we're okay. So I don't think yeah. we're doing any exercises now. It took years. It took years. Yeah. yeah. So here's, the way that the two of us operate though is probably a little bit different. If Peter's not aware of his faults, I'm going to point them out. Like I'm going to be on that. He's going to yeah. do the same thing to me. So we'll right. be aware for each other. Okay. But anyway, so that's probably not a good functional thing. So we'll. I wouldn't advise that approach for most people. <laughs> no, but you, you absolutely can cultivate it because what you start to do, and here's the benefit of what you guys just said, um, we all have blind sides. And unless someone is willing to call those out for us, friend, colleague, partner, employee, mm -hmm. we are still in the dark. So change mm -hmm. always starts. So the beautiful thing about change is it's a predictable process, but it always starts with awareness. And yeah. that insight often for my founders who are really new in their career does come from someone else. It could come to, from their investor, their board chair. Uh, it could come from another partner. But then the second step in change is acceptance. Oh, hmm. You know, when you're angry, you tend to shut down. I mean, not you shut down and you will not open the room or the space for anyone else. You control it. Okay, I get to accept this is how I'm showing up. And then am I going to choose to do something differently? Because the third step in change is starting to develop a new skill, um, a new system, a new tool. And then we start to move to integrating that into my next meeting. And then we move to unconscious competence, which is mastery. I've mastered that change. But this is a process that occurs over and over and over again. But you got to be willing to look at it. I think your your point, you know, is a really important one. I think when, you know, at any and I and I think Peter, I think you're probably the same way, right? At any at any point in my career where that kind of and this never ends, right? But you always have to be developing that awareness. But I think, you know, having people around you that you trust, that you that are safe people to, you know, to be able to share that with, I think, you know, yeah. I just think back to a lot of people I've worked with in my career that, you know, have been able to kind of point things out, but still point it out with a kindness or a, you know, a, a safety to it that wasn't just, you know, just abusing somebody, right? Right. It's, so I coach my clients on feedback. It's about future performance. It's based on facts and it's either to amplify extraordinary performance or adjust it but it's given in a way that's direct and kind. I can tell so much about the health of an executive team around if they're even giving feedback. Mm -hmm. No feedback is data. We've got a problem mm -hmm. in that culture. Yep. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, I think I know what your answer to this is. So what's your piece of advice that you would give like a founder to kind of start mm -hmm. that process? How would they, how would they do that? How would they? I think it's really important to ask for specific feedback. So maybe mm -hmm. the founder has some insight into, you know, their early stage, they're still um, fundraising and they've had a series of no's. I might ask mm -hmm. a very specific question to someone who's in the room with me around clarity of message. Um, is this landing? Does the data make sense? And invite that feedback in a very specific way so I can then start to develop a, a, a new skill around it. Feedback can get overwhelming if it's not very targeted. And then you've got to practice it. Mm -hmm. So ask for the feedback around an area where you want to grow is the first place I would start. One of the 
you know, saw a great example of this not long ago, right? We had a founder pitching, you know, Ira, my partner in the fund. And I do. Ira and I were... Uh, That's a great example of like a good balance. Like you, you described him like oh. Ira's over here and Greg's over here. It's like a perfect group. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, totally different. Totally different areas on that uh, on that quadrant. But um, mm -hmm. but we had a we had a founder who went through went through the pitch. We were listening, and it was pretty good. I mean, it was you know there were like every presentation, every funding pitch we've ever seen. Some of it landed, some of it didn't, and we got done. And then the founder actually said, "Hey, can I can I just take five minutes, and can you just tell me what?" I'm not asking you because of your investment decision or anything, but what worked? What did I say that didn't make sense? What did I say that did make sense? Can you just like, tell me what actually landed for you and what, what Love you that. didn't say anything, but you were confused about. And, you know, I just thought, wow, I mean, that is, it was, it was totally done in the right context. It was at the right moment. You knew that they legitimately, this person was legitimately just trying to learn. You know, we, I think we probably end up spending the next 30 minutes, like, you know, helping to rebuild a presentation, which was already pretty decent. But it was like, hey, take that out. That didn't make any sense. You crushed it over here. Here's maybe a different way to say that. And just asking, right, I think is, is so much of this just comes down to asking for feedback in a way that's actually authentic. Right. And. And actionable. You know, I this this makes yeah. me want to invest in this founder. If they're willing yeah. to do that this and be wildly I uncomfortable, yeah. I'm like, okay, this tells me you can receive feedback. You probably can act on feedback. There's an openness. We have this self-awareness yep. and you got a growth mindset. So I know that there's always an edge. There is always something to learn. That's right. Well, you just described checks or box. So that checks or box for like saying that's a founder who has that radical self-awareness and that's yes. where success is yep. found. Yeah. You know, so much of our, so much of investing, right. Is done in, in, you know, I, when you look at it from an investor lens, but you also look at it from an operator lens, right. So much of this is just the ability to try to figure out a way to, to just get it done. Right. Find, you know, Ira and I talk all the time about the find a way founder, right. The founder who there's, there's stuff getting thrown at you constantly from every, direction. The analogy I use all the time is like, you know, a startup is like, it's like being on American Gladiator every single day, right? You don't know where the thing is going to hit you from. Like all of a sudden there's like a guy out of nowhere. It's like smacking you across the head, right? And it's every day is like that. You're just running this gauntlet trying to somehow survive, right? And so it's, but it's the founder who can kind of ask those questions and take a step back and sort of reflect for a moment. I think that you know, to your point, I mean, that's the founder you're going to invest in all day long, right? The one who's telling me how they've figured it all out. I don't know what they're getting wrong, but I know I know they're going to get hit by the guy flying out of nowhere with the big pillow thing that's going to you know, hit them in the back of the head when they thought they cleared it, right? And, right. and that's, yeah, that's the thing. Now, I'm going to say one thing about this. Another framework that you're talking about is victim versus victor. Oh my God. I'm always yeah. hit by the guy with the pillow versus I was hit once and I figured it out. And now I'm going to be the victor of this segment of this yeah. terrible race. 
which is yep. another piece around the whole productivity and performance because a victim is stuck. They have an external locus of control. The world happens to me and a victor internal locus of control. I'm an agent and affecting change in my world. There is nothing more pronounced, I think, than when you are dealing with a, that kind of a victim mindset in any kind of leader, right? Yeah. There is nothing, to me, there is nothing that compromises that person's ability. It doesn't take, it doesn't take it every day. It just takes a little bit of it and man, it's deadly. I mean, it really, really is, um, I've dealt with some situations like this. It goes into the company, right? It like, it yes. permeates the company. How you act and how you think, even if it's not fully said, definitely the company feels it. So. Yeah. Well, and, and they start to take it on, right? And I think yeah. that's where you start to see it is these cultures that become this this victimized culture of all these things keep happening to us. And, you know, people don't understand us. And I wrote on LinkedIn about this the other day, right? It was like, you know, we're, you know, nobody understands us. People don't understand our product. They don't understand who we are. They don't, and, and it's like, nobody cares. That's, that's the problem. Nobody gives a crap. <laughs> right? And that's the fundamental problem. Like you, you actually do have to get beyond that point to make yourself matter. Right. It's not, Nobody's ever going to care, you know? No, and can you, okay, no one understands your product. That's great data. What do you choose to do about that? Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yep. How are you going to turn that around? And I think um, one thing that I would call out, and I'm seeing this with more of my founders who are later stage growth, it is really important around performance. At times we conflate two things. As humans, we will always assume it's a people problem. Right. That's just Greg. That's just Peter. It's called fundamental attribution area. That's just them. Yeah. What we don't think about, which is the culture piece, is the context we put you in. Mm -hmm. So I had a P from mm -hmm. California who remained nameless who reached out about the productivity of their analyst. And I was like, mm -hmm. tell me more about your culture. Oh, you know, we need a lot. We send a lot of emails. I'm like, well, do you have a strategic plan? Do you use EOS, one page plans? What are you doing? No, no, we don't have time for that. I was like, well, I can tell you that I can't help you because I can create an incremental improvement in your analyst productivity, but they're swimming in a culture that is absolutely completely unaligned with results. Yep. I didn't get them as a client. <laughs> well, you could probably come up with a better sales pitch. I'll, I'll give you that. But you might need a better sales pitch. Or well, you do couldn't that be more. I, I think <laughs> it's important. You're more honest about it, right? And that's definitely yeah. honesty. Yes. It right. always comes back to you. Yeah. So. Absolutely. It, Absolutely. Yeah. At least she doesn't have yeah, like someone going, <laughs> why isn't this person so much better? I'm like, well, I told you why. You didn't do anything about it. <laughs> right. Right. right, right. We have to work on your system, the system, the macro and the micro. I can yeah. absolutely change the micro. My team yeah. and I are really good at that. But if we can't work on the macro at the same time, yeah. we're back to it's a person problem versus the context in which we're asking them to perform. Yeah. And that and that that is a brilliant point. Right. Because it's the essence of when you look at high scaling companies. What is the difference between 
a company who's really built to scale and really can get the growth versus the company who struggles with it are, are it's exactly that. It's not, look, the, the people are the difference maker in that equation, but it's the processes, it's the systems that you're building that actually allow it to scale. You can actually have, there, there's no way, you know, I, I, one of the, I, I had this conversation recently with somebody saying, well, I don't hire anybody but eight players. Well, that's complete bull, right? You, of course you're hiring people who are, nobody, it's, it's because it's all contextual, right? So, but yes. if, you, if you've got the right systems and you've got the right process in place that actually allow it, you don't need to hire the superstar who's going to do the Herculean things every time, right? You just need to hire the person to follow the system. Yes. You know, it, and you look at like what every great, I'm not a big sports analogy guy, but like you look at what every great sports team has done and, and they'll say the exact same thing. It's not, you know, Barcelona, you know, is like only hiring the greatest players on earth. It's because they pulled them into a system or the, you know, the Super Bowls this week, the Chiefs or whoever it is, right? They're folding them yeah. into a system that makes a, an above average player a superstar. Really good. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you ultimately want to drive performance, you shape the path. This is exactly what you're talking about, Greg, to make the right behaviors easy. To make right. the mm -hmm. right outcomes really, really simple. But the challenge that you get, and you guys see this with your founders, and oh, we can predict when it's going to happen. To get to this place to create these conditions where you can have unbelievable high performance consistently over and over again requires systems and processes, which feel a little bit bureaucratic. And we've lost that luster of oh, we're a startup and we're out there and <laughs> ideation. And now it feels like, oof. Yeah, we're just a business. I um, had a situation recently where I ste stepped into and the mantra inside the company became, oh, these people are just trying to make us corporate. Right. right. Yes. Well, look, I mean, having KPIs and a dashboard and like, <laughs> it's not exactly GE, right? I mean, it's, it's you know, let, let's just do some basic things so we can you know, track some data and see what actually is occurring here. And I think you know, but it is, it, it is easy to fall into that trap and, and it is a culture shift. It's definitely a culture shift. Yeah. Well, like get measured, you know, like get measured, gets um, managed. So if you want to drive performance, I have to know what great looks like. Mm -hmm. What does it look like? And it usually is some type of metric. I mean, quantitative and qualitative, we need both. But what does outstanding performance look like? Don't make me guess. You're not ever going to get the result you want. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Carson, this is awesome. We knew going in, this was going to be a really fun one. And, uh, and it certainly, uh, it certainly lived up to what, what's next for you? What do you got going on? How do people reach you? Um, yeah. what do you know uh, about, uh, about your business now? Yeah. So, um, I've got a couple of spots open right now for executive coaching for folks who really want to do that deep transformational work to get to the next level. Um, and I'm working with a couple of executive teams, really helping them optimize performance. A couple of them are getting ready for an exit, which is really exciting. And you can reach out to me via email, Carson at CarsonTakeConsulting.com. Cool. And are you still active on uh, LinkedIn? I know um, yes, people reach out to Yes. LinkedIn is there. That's, uh, absolutely. And there's some right. content there that folks can find as well. Awesome. Well, this is uh, okay. this is great, Carson. Um, Thanks, really, guys. I really do appreciate it. I've 
Carson and I uh, have worked, uh, you know, sort of uh, tangentially together yeah. in, uh, in some of the stuff that we're doing around Evergreen Mountain. And, uh, and certainly, you know, if you're thinking about executive coaching, you're not going to find a better person to work with. So, uh, Thanks, so definitely, uh, definitely reach out. Uh, that's it. That's, uh, that's it for this edition of the Founders Journey podcast. We will see you uh, next week on the next edition.